Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. So welcome again to the podcast for this week and I'm really delighted to have Maddie Grant who is one of the co-authors for a book called Humanize. Thanks so much Maddie for joining me today. Hi Dan. Um, Maddie, can you give the listeners a bit of an introduction as to your background and how you came to write the book Humanize? Yes, sure. So I actually uh, am a social media strategist um, and I work specifically with associations and nonprofits. Um, and like anybody who works in the association world, I kind of fell into it sort of through you know marketing and communications. Um, no one really goes to college thinking, oh, well, I'm going to go work for an association. Um, but, um, <laughs> but working for an association involves um, wearing many hats is what we usually say. So um, all kinds of marketing and operations um, and, and web stuff. So I started um, blogging, actually, about association management um, and my business partner, Lindy, was also blogging about association marketing. She was a marketer. And the two of us started talking a lot about social media. And we started speaking on the topic. And eventually, we built our consulting firm, um, Social Fish, around, um, around helping associations use social media to um, further their business goals. Um, and then we also did a lot of work with Jamie Nodder, who is my co-author on the book, Humanize. Mm -hmm. And Jamie actually is a conflict resolution guy and a management consultant. So he also has a blog, which is basically a leadership blog. And the two of us realized that um, social media was kind of changing the way that we work, uh, much more than just marketing it was starting to change leadership and change management. Mm -hmm. So we basically decided to write the book um, in a way that marries my social media expertise with his leadership and management consulting expertise. Um, so it's looking at you know this kind of big picture of the really disruptive changes that social media brings about um, through both social media and um, and you know, the internal changes that are happening uh, with with management, basically. Mm. And it's the thing that really struck me, and I, I really like the reference to the matrix that you use as a sort of a yes. parallel story running through it. I, th I thought that was really interesting. And the bit that, I, that 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 was sort of compelling for me is that you know we're all using this, and and I guess what resonated was with all of these tools that we've got, the connections and the way we communicate have definitely changed. But I don't know, there's sort of two, I think there's two arguments going on out there. One is that it's actually giving us a chance to become more human and do things to express ourselves and podcasts and, you know, Facebook and just, yeah. you know, review and, do, you know, make, amplify our messages. And the other side is 
well, we could actually become less human because we could use technology to, to you know, to interrupt that connection between one another. And, and I think in your book there's sort of principles of that woven through it and I just wondered what your thoughts around around how we're humanising and, and what the barriers are. Sure, yeah, and I, I think there is that interesting dichotomy, and our book uh, definitely has an opinion as to which way we, sh we should go. Mm. So we feel that social media humanizes by its very nature and is, is very powerful because it taps into the, the, um, the urges that we have to, to create and share and tell stories and connect with other people. Um, in a way that has been so disruptive because it breaks down the barriers between traditional institutions like the newspaper or the association or government or you know any of these big um, originally trusted sources of information well now you don't need those anymore you can go to Google and find information in myriads of other ways so you can connect with you know colleagues and strangers and all kinds of people to get the information that you want. Um, so these kind of human-powered social media forces um, have been recognized by smart companies as being useful for business. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the theory that we, we have in the book is that um, our businesses have been organized in a mechanistic way traditionally, um, and that that uh, mechanical way of working, um, basically the, the cogs in a machine kind of system that our businesses are run like, um, have not, that has not changed in a hundred years. So all of a sudden we're, um, we're trying to use social media and oftentimes we're trying to fit it into this machine system but it's much more open and, and kind of messy and it's all about, you know, relationships between people um, and that's that can be quite um, a risk you know it can be mm -hmm. a little for big corporate um, organizations who don't really who aren't used to not controlling the message and I think that's the, the thing that sort of runs through you know it, it, it feels like a vulnerable time for businesses or maybe for those businesses that haven't had that transparency or you know, being really authentic and open in their practices, that this right. is a totally new way to think about things. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's um, what we found, one of the really interesting things that we found when we work with organizations is oftentimes we'll start with a um, social media policies project. Mm -hmm. So an organization feels like they can't really start with social media unless they have proper guidelines in place. Right. Yeah. So, but in that process of talking about guidelines, it forces organizations to think about you know who on staff do they trust, and you know they'll need to trust younger people, um, maybe more junior people, um, just because those people are are more frontline. You know, they're customer facing, they're member facing. In the case of an association, so all of a sudden it's not just the media spokesperson or the CEO, you have other people who are speaking for the organization. So, you know, you're through this process of, of writing guidelines, but it actually makes you think about your, your culture. You know, can you trust um, more people on staff? And then what do you try 
with? Can you share more information internally? Can you share more information externally with your customers who might be asking for it? Um, it can you uh, collaborate between departments in a more holistic way where content gets shared properly you know, for social media? There are all these different questions that are actually not about social media at all. Mm-hmm. They're about you know, internal process, basically, um, and they're about culture. So that was the really fascinating thing um, about you know thinking about these ideas and writing the book. Absolutely, sort of almost like social media was the entree into this foray of all these other things that you know that, that it opened up, which is which is I can see why both you and Jamie had a role to play in that because it is the intersection between that conversation that then opens up. How did you find in in sort of doing the research and and the results for that research that you did, and I had a look on your on your website, which is great. You still allow that to be downloaded. How did you refi- find that the companies responded to that? What What do you think's been the sort of outcome of that and the visibility of this so far? Uh, well, it's been actually amazing. Um, the research we did specifically was a um, a survey on social leadership. Mm-hmm. And it was relatively informal, so we just sent the survey out through our networks, um, which meant, of course, that it was um, aimed at people who were already using social media, just because that's the way it was disseminated, you know, through email and through Twitter and Facebook um, and all the usual social media places. So it was skewed in that direction, but the findings from the research were that people really think that not only is social media important for business goals, for business reasons, but they also want their leaders to be involved in social media uh, in a variety of ways. And even more interestingly, um, some of those ways are not just having your CEO using Twitter, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just the usage of social media tools for leaders was less important than the principles that we would call humanized principles, like being transparent, like um, being able to um, be more authentic and um, share, you know, your true voice, and um, and have clear, provide clear direction, um, and be you know more decentralized. There's a whole bunch of leadership traits that are not traditional command and control traits, and mm-hmm. those are the things that people really valued most highly in their leaders. Um, So that was a really, really interesting bit of research and it's actually, we're still doing a lot of work around it. Uh, It seems to be resonating. We've been asked to do presentations around um, CEOs and social media uh, very specifically. Um, Recently we've had a lot of requests for that. So I think um, it's taken a couple of months but now, you know, more and more people are starting to talk about about what, how leaders specifically can start to participate. And of course, when they do, that becomes easier for a whole organization holistically to become a social organization because they have that buy-in from the top. Whereas even you know a year, two years ago, I think a lot of organizations had it all sectioned off into the marketing department, for example. Um, and it was really not thought of as part of everybody's job, but now 
how if we start to get, get buy-in from the top, it'll be much more important to have it um, be part of everybody's job. Yeah, absolutely. I just wonder how much of it is dictated by the fact that, you know, we've got these Generation Xs that are in the workforce and that they're perhaps looking for a different experience in the work um, environment than, than, you know, people that went before them or are still there that, you know, that they've they've grown to expect a certain amount of um, transparency and they're growing up with different tools and then you know, part of it is just, you know, the management getting getting online with that new culture and, and, and sort of, you know, making a middle ground, finding a middle ground because I think that some companies are very, very frightened and sceptical about taking that leap because of the uncontrollable nature of it. But on the same hand, a lot of them are saying that, I think that they're saying that, you know, if they want to be a, a company that, you know, that the future wants to work for, X generation wants to work for, then they're, they're looking for certain personality traits of that company and they're looking for different things and perhaps what they might have looked for, you know, when I was going through a steady job for seven years with the corporate, that's that's not exactly what, you know, X generations are looking for. They're looking for um, different things and I wonder how much of that is influencing what's going on out there. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think generations is um, generational differences is a huge driver. Um, actually, Jamie is very specifically uh, an expert on generations. He wrote a book called uh, "Generational Differences in the Workplace." Um, it's on his website, um, and it's just a, it's a little ebook, but it it's really it talks very directly about that, and I think. I mean, Gen X is such a small generation compared to the boomers um, and the millennials that are coming afterwards. But the millennials are now entering the workforce. Um, you know, there are people, I think the oldest millennial is 30 at this point. So you've got a whole ton of people who just live and breathe with these tools. And they're just not going to... There's so many of them that they're not going to accept, you know, traditional management practices um, in the same way that Gen X did or does because we've kind of grown up with that's how things are supposed to be. So it's almost like we are right now in that transition period between the traditional mechanistic system and the more social humanized system. And it's hard because we're transitioning you know we're not we're not there yet and there's plenty of companies that will continue to to make a profit and do perfectly fine without these principles but we believe and we you know we state very strongly in the book that that the companies that really embrace it will really just shine compared to compared to the rest so that leads me to a question that I've been thinking about when when I was reading the book because some people would just naturally embrace these these concepts of being, you know, transparent, trustworthy, you know, having a team that collaborates and, and is courageous. And you've got some awesome worksheets on your website, which I'll link to. And even a test or audit where you can go through and see, you know, if you like, how human your organisation is or how it fits into those almost values, I guess. But what happens if, I guess what, what I was thinking is you might have, and hold those values at your heart just naturally 
and 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 I do. So for me, it's it's you know all about being people centric. What happens for those organisations that don't but actually see the value of it because um, they can see that that's you know that that makes sense or they've read your book, but they actually don't hold those values themselves. Do you think that they can still do it? You know, can they still work through this process without being really authentically caring about you know the the, the culture and the people? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question because I actually think that's almost the reason we wrote the book is we, we you know, we picked our four elements, four human elements, based on what we were seeing in the business world happening already. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think so- social media kind of forces that. So there are definitely companies who don't need to, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Um but those companies are probably still doing some social media. And if you do a little bit, you know, you start to realize that it won't work as well if, if you know, only one person is allowed to do it than if you have more people do it, you know, on behalf of the organization. So it's these little, little baby steps that I think will get to much more people-centric organizations um, but I do think it's not. I do think there are companies that will survive fine without doing it at all, um, and that may depend on what you know, what verticals they are, what what kind of companies they are. Um, it's it's clear that some industries are much more disrupted than others by social media in general, um, like newspapers is an obvious one. Yeah. Uh, and you know, big consumer-facing brands, and you know, all those things are fairly obvious. For associations, they're also very disrupted because associations are just groups of people who are connected because they're part of a particular industry. So, social media does that without you having to pay dues, you know, to your association, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it is basically a threat to some associations, and they have to really. They have had to figure out how to really use social media to build community online and not ignore it because if they ignore it, then all of their members will congregate elsewhere. Um, so, so there's different uh, variations of how, how urgent or how disruptive um, all of this stuff is for particular companies. But I feel like technology moves so fast mm-hmm. that everybody has to be paying attention. You know, everybody does. It's like, I remember um, not so long ago when it was a big deal for everybody on staff to have an email address. And I also remember when not every company had a website. You know, that was not so long ago. And now, if you don't have a website, you basically don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Might as well shut your doors right now, you know. So, um, and I, I really feel like social media, uh, some of these things will, will become just a fabric of how to communicate um, more and more and more and more. But the difference is we don't know, I mean, there's so many different social media tools. We don't know which one will last and which ones will just disappear um, overnight. There's already rumors that people are leaving Facebook, for example. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'll so you just never know. I've heard that. I think I, what I agree is that I don't think we're going to go back, like your book says. I think that we're going to be 
searching and seeking out new channels to communicate and 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 that's here to stay it's just it's just what what are they going to be i guess can you give us any examples of um companies that are doing this humanizing really well um people that have sort of embraced this and and um you know it's working for them um yeah there's a there's a lot of examples um i the interesting thing is that the examples that we have and specifically the ones that we quote in the book there's no one overarching example of a company that does everything that we talk about um, but there are many 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 examples of companies that do pieces of it um, so we love talking about Morningstar which is a tomato company uh, a tomato plant so that's a very you know it's a it's clearly a mechanical kind of industry, right? Yeah. Um, grow tomatoes and then they many you know, they distribute them. Um, but they have they have no hierarchy. They have no managers. Um, and they basically every single employee can spend money um, on behalf of the company as long as they can prove that it will make a difference. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they need to have an idea for some change that will help the production of tomatoes, and um, and you know they they're allowed to spend that money and and um, for the for the good of the company basically, and it's just a very um, very very decentralized company, but it's it's doing amazingly well. They've they've got you know the highest profits of any similar company uh, like that. Um, so that's one example. There's a great example of um, transparency internally, which is Whole Foods, which is a big grocery chain, yeah. who they share all, everybody's salary information throughout the whole entire company. And the idea is that people who are um, better performing um, can basically share what they're doing to, to have higher profits. Their salaries are tied to their profits, I guess. So they can share what they're doing um, to be doing so well with the other, the other different stores in different places. Um, so sharing salary information is the kind of thing that everybody goes, ah, you can't do that. You know, that's craziness. Um, but in this case, you know, this is a huge supermarket chain, and it is the most profitable supermarket chain. And everybody there, from the you know person who packs the milk in the in the back, to the cashier up front, to the CEO, everybody knows what everybody else makes in the whole company. Um, and what's interesting about those examples is that there those are not social media related. You know, right. there there are tons and tons and tons of other examples. Um, just of companies that that really have embraced social media, um, and um, there's a an association that we love to to talk about called N10, which is the Nonprofit Technology Network. Okay. Um, it's an association for nonprofit staffers uh, who work with technology, mm-hmm. uh, and they are small staff. I think they have less than 20 people. Um, but they invite all of their staff to really live the values that they have on, posted on their website. Um, all of their staff are encouraged to use social media. Um, 
but it's very much a personal thing. So some of them may be on Twitter, but not necessarily all of them. Some of them may be on Facebook, but not necessarily all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they all kind of live and breathe the work that they do. And of course, this is the nonprofit industry where everybody is very passionate like that. Um, So it fits with the culture of the industry that they're in. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's another good, really good example of the fact that they're they're just constantly listening and responding to all of their uh, members and audiences, you know, all over the social web. Um, they really embrace that. I mean, they're great examples. What, what I was thinking about just then as you were going through those is um, it seems to me, whether, whether it's brought about by social media or, or not, I mean, I've, I've sort of had this belief that really the the why and the who and the how you do something within your business is is really really important and mm-hmm. and and that that for me is a big part of why people choose to work with you so you know getting that right for me is really important and it, and it does boil down i think to my values of what i feel is important and how i treat people and so you you in the book you refer to this i think of um you know, building your organisation from the inside out. Can you sort of elaborate a little bit more about that in terms of the, um, in terms of what this is turning up um, for people when they read it around that behaviour within an organisation and the values that sit and how much do they sit with the CEO as opposed to the organisation as a whole so I I guess there's sort of two questions one is you know is this an opportunity and how are they building that from the inside out and also you know how much of it is participation and how much of it is driven just by the CEO and and what they believe and then filtering down yeah those are great questions I think um, I think that's something that in leadership circles is talked about a lot just in terms of corporate culture and and the CEO, you know, what kind of CEO drives that kind of, or any kind of corporate culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of discussion around Apple and their practices as compared to Google and their practices, differences between, you know, Steve Jobs and um, so I think it's it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Uh, I think that the CEO, the presence of the CEO and the, the uh, will of the CEO to, to really instill a certain culture is really important. Um, I think that is obviously more important with smaller companies or younger companies where the CEO is the founder potentially and, and still around. Um, and, you know, in the tech world, there's so many um, technology startups, which are now huge companies. But, you know, the original, I mean, it's, this is the Mark Zuckerberg example. You know, the original founder is still kind of part of the whole system. Yeah. And you, of course, have much older, bigger companies, or not even bigger, but just older companies where the founder, you know, the company was founded 200 years ago, um, but they still have a company culture that's grown over the years so I think the difference now is is actually that it's less about the CEO unless you have a kind of um, a very um, 
big personality kind of leadership figure like any of these guys I just mentioned. Um, mm. Or even like Marissa Mayer, who is the new CEO of Yahoo. Mm. Uh, you know, all of these people are just sort of celebrities in their own right, I guess. Um, probably because of the web, because everybody knows their names now um, more than anything. But, but I think what we talk about in Humanize is the fact that you don't need to have someone that's a celebrity like that as your CEO pushing these principles for them to still be really, really important. And maybe it's actually the democratizing of leadership so that um, it allows people to really believe in whatever the company's values are and share them and talk about them on the social web. And customers are saying, you know, in our research, customers are saying that, that they'll, um, they trust companies more if they know what their brand values are. Um, so these are all messages that are shared through social media by by everybody in a company, like not just the the leader. Um, so I think that's the important point to make is that it's it allows everybody to participate in creating that culture um, instead of it being handed down from on high. Absolutely, and it's almost like whether they want to or not, they're going to distribute that culture because we're all people after work. <laughs> so, um, look, I absolutely love the book. It's it's a must-read. I even like the tiny little people that you've got as the background. <laughs> I thought that was so fantastic. Um, that. That's our little secret. We, we don't tell anyone. We just wait and see if people notice. <laughs> oh, I noticed. I thought it was so cool. And you know the other thing is that you really do eat your own dog food. Um, you know, going to your site, and I'll put a link on it, that you've got some awesome tools, the worksheet, um, the research, the online assessment. Um, I just think it's a must-have. And you're going to be extremely busy <laughs> because this is, you know, I think people are just starting to get around to understanding that, um, you know, that the way that we communicate and the way that we interact has changed and yeah. and that, that that's the start of a, a conversation that perhaps hasn't been had before between employees and employers and customers and employees and and I think that that's becoming more transparent which is an awesome thing I just wanted to ask you at the moment you know is there any one that's influencing you or what are you reading or working on any other projects because I always like to ask people that because I find out some interesting things <laughs> so is there anything that you are following or reading or that's influencing and shaping what you um, are interested in yeah, I actually read a ton. I, I read just so much stuff. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is that the conversation around social media is maturing. Um, and in the U.S., there are, um, there's, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Jeremiah Oyang. Um, he's with Forrester. So this is a, a big, um, a, a big agency that does a lot of analysis around social business. Okay. Um, but they focus very specifically on big corporations with more than a thousand staff. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a very big corporate angle to all of this. But but he's really got a, a very high level, you know, forward thinking view on, on what's coming down the pike. 
um, because he's he's doing so much research with these big corporations. Um, so his work is really interesting. Um, but then there's just so many other people. Um, there's so many good social media related blogs. But I think um, even rather than mention anyone in particular, I think it's really about um, just reading a lot of different things all the time. I actually try to unsubscribe from blogs you know, on a monthly basis and find new ones, mm. uh, sort of as a very specific habit, because it's it's problematic to read the same the same experts all the time. You know, yeah. so I'm just, I'm always coming across new people, um, and it's just I mean I I love this industry. It's just a really or this field I should say. It's just a really exciting place to be with so many things changing all the time um so i think just being a constant learner is is my favorite part of it you know i I absolutely agree it's it's um it's really it's it's hard to stop yourself (laughs) you know because there's so much content that you can actually consume and so many different ways you can consume it um so, but they're really good tips. I'll I'll, I'll look up Jeremiah and um, see if I can't seek out his his thoughts. So, th- thank you so much, Maddie, for your time. I really um, appreciate your insights. And as I said, the book's fantastic, and I'll I'll put some links on my blog. And um, I enjoy um, following you and seeing what's next. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.